Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.oleole.com. It's going to be a busy show between now and the end, let me tell you. It's so busy that I've actually had to write stuff down to remind me what's in there. A running order, if you will. I know this is standard practice for most kind of radio shows and that kind of stuff. But mostly I work on the theory of just sort of making it up as you go along, which is um, quite effective for the most part because you can't go wrong, can you? can't go, oh, I was supposed to do that bit there, or, ah, oh, damn, I forgot to do this. No. If you're just making it up as you go along, well, then it's it's like freeform jazz, man. But today's show is meticulously planned, let me tell you, meticulously, right down to the last second. Or, you know, I've just written down a couple of things just to remind me. That's, that's pretty much what I've done. That's as meticulous as I get. Uh, on the way, I'll be talking to Amy Lawrence about everything that's happened this week, and, uh, about uh, football as well. We're in-depth with Amy. Um, as well as that, I'll be chatting to Philippe Auclair from France Football, who's got some information um, about the whole Cesc Fabregas thing in relation to the, the Michael Ballack incident. So we'll come to that in a little while as well. Uh, we'll be discussing, obviously, the football that's gone on uh, and, of course, the, the big incident of the week, which is the Cesc Fabregas, Phil Brown is a fucking cunt um, gate thing. Uh, I think that's what we should call it. Phil Brown is a cunt gate. Which, um, for the more imaginative of you, could lead to all kinds of images popping into your head. You keep them to yourself. I don't want to know. However, we'll start, uh, as per usual, by discussing what's happened on the football pitch uh, between the last Arscast and this Arscast. And we were facing Blackburn Rovers last Saturday. And we beat them 4-0, which was splendid. However... Um, it should be pointed out that Blackburn are a pack of filthy fucking cunts. No two ways about it. I know we said it on the blog, but it bears repeating. They were blocking people, tripping people, uh, hanging on to people, pulling shirts. And that's when they weren't trying to break people's legs, like El Hajj Juf, who was involved in a, in a tackle that could well have broken Manuel Almunia's leg. And in light of all the other stuff that's made the headlines this week, it's kind of upsetting that stuff like that doesn't. Because um, we've experienced, I think, firsthand what it's like to lose a player to a bad, vicious, violent tackle, which is what that was. We've seen it with Eduardo. We saw it with Abu Dhabi as well, when Dan Smith of Sunderland uh, put him out of the game for nine months. So when you see someone like Joof who has a bit of previous, who isn't what you might call not a cunt, carry out a tackle like that and get away with just a yellow card, it is a bit hard to take. 
Sam Allardyce said, oh, it was a bad tackle. Well, well, you know, these things happen. And this culture of uh, making excuses for for serious foul play that is so prevalent in the game means that uh, little or nothing was made of it. There was more talk about Pedersen's dive, which was, you know, of course, more hilarious, as were his um, remonstrations or his uh, attempts afterwards to say, well, I wasn't looking for a penalty and my, my back leg clipped my other leg. My back leg. It sounds like he's a dog. I know, but uh, his attempts uh, to excuse his diving were were um, ridiculous. But that gets more coverage than the juve tackle. And I would like to see more people take players who perform those kind of tackles, I'd like to see them taken to task more than the hysteria and controversy over stupid stuff. However, let's look on the positive side of things. Andre Arshavin was very, very good against Blackburn. Um, he scored uh, the first goal, we thought. Turned out to be an own goal. Tellingly, he, he said, no, I didn't score that. Which is a, a measure of him. The second goal was definitely his, though. A bit Canu-esque, the way he skinned the defender on the line and then slammed it over Paul Robinson. Rather amazing. And then, miracle of miracles, two goals from Emmanuel Abue, which is just kind of incredible. One was a tap-in or a poke-in over the line, and then he took a penalty. Is dancing? Not really that important, is it? It's not very good, let's face it, but not really that important. A word for Nicholas Bentner, who couldn't find the back of the net. Uh, He could still be playing now, I think, and he wouldn't have found the back of the net. Uh, Obviously got, uh, I suppose... A little bit uh, bogged down by the reaction of people. When you miss your fourth or fifth chance, you know, people are sort of, oh. But he didn't hide and he kept working and I think you have to admire that. The finishing will come, I think. He's obviously lacking confidence uh, in front of goal. Um, uh, Hopefully a couple of goals at home will sort of reinvigorate him. That would be good. Uh, Then, of course, you move on to the FA Cup game against Hull, which was on St. Patrick's night. I only saw the second half of it. I have to say, so I missed the first half and I can't really comment on our performance. Second half, um, well, we got the goal through Robin Van Persie and then a controversial winner from William Gallas, uh, which won us a game and will put us into the semi-final where we will play Chelsea at Wembley. So that's it from a football point of view. However, um, after the whole game, of course, was all the stuff about Fabregas and spitting and and all that kind of stuff. And... uh, It's been interesting to to see how the mainstream media, for the most part, have just been um, reporting what what Phil Brown has said without really investigating it. And um, across the Arsenal blog spectrum, there has been um, tremendous stuff being put out, um, pictures, videos being put out, people actually doing some investigating to counter some of the stuff that Phil Brown says. So when we're talking about uh, Phil Brown saying Arsene Wenger never shakes hands, well, then I can find a video and put the video up and disprove that. And people can find photographs which are dated uh, back in September after the game at the Grove where they beat us. Arsene Wenger is shaking his hand. Um, So the online uh, writers and bloggers are the ones that are doing that. And the newspapers aren't necessarily covering themselves in glory, even though, given the weight of uh, evidence now being uh, put out on the web, 
uh, to um, so many people, uh, they're, they're starting to come around to it a bit and question what it is that Phil Brown has been saying. I think it's important that um, that people do that because when somebody quite obviously is telling fibs like that, it calls into question their credibility when talking about something else. So whatever they're saying about Cesc um, has to be taken in context and has to be taken in light of what they're saying about other things. So if he says Arsene Wenger never shook his hand, and we can say, well, yes, he did, then why should we give so much credence to what he says about what he says Sesk did, if you get me? Know what I mean? And the commentary from various people has just been ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Here, for example, is Mark Bright talking on the BBC's uh, Five Live Daily Football podcast. You know, um, I'd rather be elbowed or kicked than spat on. Right, he'd rather be elbowed or kicked than spat on. Uh, Tim Sherwood, former Tottenham player and uh, now a pundit on Satanta, wrote on the Satanta Sports website, I would rather Sesk had knocked Brian Horton out than spit in his face. There is just nothing worse. Seriously. He thinks that Sesk punching Brian Horton and knocking him unconscious isn't as bad as spitting. Even though Sesk didn't spit in his face, he's the one that said that. There's no suggestion that Sesk spat in his face. In fact, Brian said this incident, if it did happen, he spat at his feet. But how can anybody say that hitting somebody and rendering them unconscious is better than spitting. And the chairman of Hull says, I think spitting in our culture in this country is one of the worst things you can do. It's worse than hitting somebody. (laughs) Now, I would like to challenge Mark Bright here and now. I don't know how I can get in touch with Mark Bright, but if he was standing in front of me, I'll give him two options. One option is I will spit on him and the other option is I will hit him in the face as hard as I can. Does he really expect me to believe that he would say, go on, hit me in the face? It's it's ludicrous. It's disgusting spitting. Absolutely no question about it. It is disgusting. But to say that spitting at somebody is worse than committing an act of violence upon them is just so ludicrous it's untrue. Here's, here's more of what Bright says. If you're going to elbow somebody, tackle somebody, you're late, you show your studs, these are, all, these are all part of the game which we do. The referee deals with them and he sees them. To spit on somebody just brings back that memory of Rudy Voller and Frank Reichard. It's more a foreign thing than it is an English one. Right, so mindless xenophobia aside, which is what that is, um, elbowing somebody is part of the game now, is it, Mark Bright? As far as I was aware, elbowing somebody is illegal of course you may not think it people like chris morgan get away with smashing people's skulls open but ask that boy that canadian guy uh, i can't remember what team he was playing for that chris morgan shattered his cheekbone that guy who had to spend nights in intensive care because they were worried about uh, his brain swelling and shit tell him that being spat on is worse than being elbowed or being hit you fucking idiot Seriously, it's stupid fucking idiot people like that with those stupid idiot opinions. 
and the fucking people who give them the time of day to air such inane, ridiculous, retarded stuff. It's retarded. There's no two ways about it. It's like somebody once heard somebody saying, spitting is the lowest of the low, spitting is worse, and everybody repeats it as if it's true, and it's not. It's stupid. And Mark Bright is a stupid fucking asshole. Tell Eduardo that someone spitting on him is worse than someone going in studs up, as he puts it. Yes, studs up, over the ball, break your leg, out of the game for a year, or will I wipe a little bit of spit from my face? You fucking morons. And as long as that kind of thing is so prevalent, as long as the column inches are given to halfwits like this, then acts of violence in the game, like Juice tackle on Almunia, like Eduardo's tackle, like Kevin Nolan's tackle on Anichibi. Those will create a little bit of a storm, but the minute somebody mentions a spit, and possibly a foreign player, it's like the end of the world. So Mike Bright, if anyone can give him this, there's your choices. Someone spit on you, or someone fucking hit you in the face, or break your leg. What do you choose? And if you tell me you choose somebody hitting you, then you uh, are talking right out of your arse. No fucking doubt about it. Morons. Fucking stupid cunts, really, the whole lot of them. Uh, we'll have a bit more on this now uh, in a while with uh, with Amy Lawrence. But joining me now on the Arscast is France football journalist Philippe Beauclair. Hi, Philippe. Hello. This Cesc Fabregas spitting incident um, has dominated the headlines, obviously. Uh, but uh, one of the things that was bandied about as... Uh, some kind of evidence that that Cesc was capable of doing this or might do what they say he did was a, an incident with Michael Ballack in a Champions League game against Bayern Munich uh, four four years ago, more or less. Uh, you've been doing some digging around and um, looking into that. Yeah, I was because uh, uh, the, the video in, evidence and the photographs which have been uh, published uh, uh, in the press and in a number of blogs. I mean, didn't look really conclusive. I mean. You could think, yeah, maybe he spat, maybe he didn't. So I decided, uh, well, let's try and find out what, what happened. Uh, I, I tried to contact uh, Mikhail Balak's agent without any success, I must say. Mm. And then I, I delved a little bit into uh, German press of the time and, um, and found absolutely no reference whatsoever to this incident in the match reports, apart from the fact that Chester Bregas had, been, uh, had received a yellow card in additional time for his aggressive attitude, but there was absolutely no mention of uh, spitting. So I, I, I was a little bit puzzled. So I, I, I called a couple of my contacts in Germany, uh, one in particular, uh, who is uh, Arnie Zeigler, uh, who is a well-known broadcaster and journalist in that country, um, and he's also the official historian of Werder Bremen. And I said, uh, do you know anyone who would know anything? So he first contacted the guy who had been editing the pictures of uh, uh, that match in Germany, uh, on for television, and uh, who was very surprised and said, no, uh, no, no, there's no pictures of Czech spitting on anyone. And I thought, okay, well, let's talk to somebody else, maybe at Bayern Munich. So he got in touch uh, with a man who was, and still is the, the press officer and director of communications at Bayern, who is Marcus Hervik, uh, somebody who is very well known within German football and somebody who could be trusted to tell the truth because they have absolutely no vet, vested interest in this. And he put the question uh, for me to, uh, to, to Marcus and said, you know, did 
Fabregas spit on, on, on Balak. Did Balak report anything? Was there any problem? And um, Holdick was very, very surprised. Since the first, you know, I've heard of this. And I, I can definitely tell you nothing of the kind happened. And he, he went on and he said, if anything of the kind had happened, obviously I would have been the first person to be informed, obviously because of the media backlash. And I would also have been the first person to act on it. And then he, he, and he said it again, it definitely did not happen. So that should be the end of the story. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the end of the story. <laughs> but not. coming you know, from Bayern, from the people who were the, uh, uh, the injured party, so to speak, in, in an incident that uh, in the end uh, didn't take place at all. I think we can call that pretty much conclusive. Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Philippe, we'll, we'll leave it there. But thank you very much for your efforts. And uh, it's good to get that information. Thanks a million. Thank you. So we can put that one finally to bed as well. That Sesk did not spit at Michael Ballack. He says he didn't. Balak never complained about it. No complaint was made uh, to Arsenal about it. As somebody uh, said to me in an email, spitting is a red card offence. If the ref saw quite what had happened, but only gave Fabregas a yellow. So uh, for me, that video that's going around, well, it might look like it. It's absolutely untrue, um, as Philippe uh, has so very kindly proven for us. However, to discuss um, the whole lot of it in more uh, general terms uh, about the coverage of it, about Arsenal's reaction to it, uh, and about um, football a bit later on, um, I'm joined now uh, by Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good, thanks very much. Uh, good to have you back on the show, despite some people fearing I, I might not let you back, given uh, an article you wrote last week. I noticed that, yes. I must say, if I, if I ever got to the point where you wouldn't speak to me anymore, I know I'd really be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we, we'll leave we'll leave that harshness aside uh, because there's <laughs> plenty of other stuff to be talking about. Mm. Obviously, the incidents on Tuesday night, um, not so much the football. Obviously, I think what's been lost uh, in the mix is the fact that Arsenal are through to the semi-final of the FA Cup against Chelsea, which is m- much more important than an alleged spitting incident. Phil Brown has been all over the media, not exactly covering himself in glory. There seem to be some credibility issues with some of the things that he's saying. I think I'm trying to put this very um, uh, diplomatically. Yeah, um, but is this a mountain out of a molehill, or or should Arsenal, if this spitting incident didn't take place, is this something the club should pursue, or is it better just to get this thing over and done with? Well, you know, you don't need to be a student of Arsenal to know that when things occur, whether they're disciplinary or not, and when allegations are made or when transfer rumours and speculation occur and what have you, the club is very good at saying nothing. So, I mean... Even if you would like to think that if there was no case to answer, that Arsenal would be very vociferous in their defence of Fabregas uh, publicly to try and counterbalance some of the kind of heavyweight um, uh, uh, attacks on on Sesk from the people of Hull. It's just not the way that they do things. It never has been, and I don't particularly expect that to change. And I think in the press conference after the game, when Arsene Wenger was um, asked a lot of questions about it, it was typical of the way that he likes to keep things always quiet that he just said look i've been you know seen things in tunnels uh, uh, you know over 12 years here and you've never heard me talk about them mm. um and that's true i mean so whether that's because all the times that there's been things it's better not to talk about them because <laughs> arsenal have transgressed or whether that's because 
he's just thinks it's better to let everything disappear and not fan any flames. Um, it's open to question, but I suspect it's very much the latter. Mm. He did seem disappointed that uh, Phil Brown uh, went so public with um, whatever it was that he claims to have seen. Uh, and he, pe- he appears to be the only one who's who's seen it, apart from Brian Horton. Um, so uh, he did seem disappointed about that. Um, yeah, I think I think it is one of those things where, you know, there are so many aspects of football where things that are in the dressing room are supposed to stay in the dressing room. And that's why, for example, the whole William Gallas thing around his captaincy was so provocative because that sort of stuff is supposed to stay inside. And things that happen in the tunnel are supposed to stay in the tunnel. And there's all these codes and, and unwritten rules, if you like, that are supposed to be designed to to mean that people can get a bollocking inside the, the club, but it, but that doesn't mean the manager's going to necessarily give a player a dressing down in public mm. and so on. Um, and I think that, that, that a club should behave in that way. Obviously, from a media point of view, um, the media want nothing of the sort and will, want to get every salacious bit of gossip that they can. Sure. And that's one of the reasons why a story like that absolutely obliterates what actually happens in the match. Mm. You know, when you, when you attend a game like that, as a as a journalist, um, obviously for the first ninety minutes, all you can do is write about what you see in terms of the match. Um, sometimes you come into a press conference immediately after a game, and everything that you've seen just gets uh, gets made irrelevant because uh, uh, as soon as something scandalous gets thrown into the mix. It doesn't matter whether you work for a broadsheet or a tabloid or whether you work for Sky or Radio 5 or whoever. The detonated bomb of any kind of scandal just supersedes everything that's happened in the game. And sometimes that's a real pity. And the one I remember most of all, um, in a sense for that, was... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Back in 1991 with the brawl uh, at mm. Old Trafford. And that was a great game. Um, people forget that. It was actually a really good game of football. And the other thing people forget is that after the handbags, uh, there was about half an hour of the game still to play. And it was played in a fantastic spirit, actually. Mm. Um, but that didn't stop newspapers the next day only talking about the fact that there should be, um, I think one or two journalists 
suggested that Arsenal should actually be kicked out of the league um, <laughs> for that incident, if memory serves. One of my one of the guys that I know and respect now um, uh, uh, kind of got a bit over the top with it all at the time. So, you know, it, it's it's a sort of... I must say, if I was a player, it must be deeply annoying that sometimes you go out there and do your job and do it quite well. And then you pick up the paper the next day and you can probably feel like you may as well have not bothered because it's all about something else. Yeah, but, but I mean, isn't there this, um, this ability of the media to trot out the biggest idiots um, <laughs> commentating on the game to say, well, you know what, I'd rather, I'd rather someone hit me in the face than spat mm. at me. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got to understand as well that the media have become absolutely, quote, obsessed. And what that means is if somebody says something in the way that Phil Brown did yesterday, even if what they say is complete tosh and you know full well that you've seen something else with your own eyes, people will say, Phil Brown sees that, da 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 And it always amazes me that, you know, very few of the journalists have the, um, uh, the respect for their own opinions or the... Uh, the confidence, if you like, to turn around and say, well, so-and-so said something, but that was nonsense. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that was necessarily the case in this particular issue, but sometimes you, you go to a game and, and somebody comes out with, uh, with an interpretation of something that happened that you know is nonsense. For example, you know, Sam Allardyce turns around and says that that youth tackle, well, that was nothing much. Well, if you've watched the game, you know it isn't. Yeah. So why turn around and say, Sam Allardyce denied that youth had got involved in any kind of silly tackle and blah, 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 when it's, it's not true. So it's complicated because we set such um, great import on what our managers or players say. And that's why that could be an explanation as to the whole of this Phil Brown, Brian Horton thing, that it's partially an attempt to deflect away from the deficiencies of their own team. Mm. That happens sometimes. Certainly does. You know, come out with a buffy nuts and do it. Teams play like a drain and comes out with something a little bit con- controversial and away yeah. you go. Everybody's talking about something else rather than analysing, you know, some big deficiency in the team. Well, why does why does something like an alleged spit, spitting incident, and, you know, let's be clear, that's what it is. There's this assumption mm-hmm. now that it's, it's true, he definitely did it, blah, blah, blah. Why does, uh, and why do people who write about the game and who love the game want more um, from, a, from something like this than, uh, like you mentioned, the juve tackle on Almunia, which is something that anybody who loves football does not want to see and wants to see uh, eradicated from the game as much as possible, where there just isn't the same uh, hysteria over something that's r- really a hundred times worse. Well, my opinion, that you've, you've absolutely summed up in that sentence why the England national team doesn't win things very often. I mean, for me, there's something fundamentally warped about the English football mentality that values aggression um, as, you know, above uh, beauty. And this concept that a thudding tackle is somehow a great example of manliness when it, you know, obviously, as as everybody knows from what happened to Eduardo, it can seriously endanger the Mm. career of a player or certainly put them out of the game for a you know, a year or so, it's very, it explains sometimes in my view why, um, there, you know, English football is not quite what it, you know, what it's cracked up to be. Is there a measure of um, xenophobia to it? 
Well, I mean, that's a good point as well. And I think that's something that's quite frustrating about um, this sort of incident that happened this week. Uh, there is a very, uh, very easy line to take, which is greasy spitting foreigner must be bad. And, you know, proud, um, upstanding, old-fashioned northern football man must be good. Um <laughs> You know, that, yeah. that's. I think it must be said that England has made fantastic strides in terms of um, interna- internationalisation and, and open-mindedness in the game. And when you when you go back twenty years, and there weren't very many um, foreign players, let alone foreign managers or foreign fans or uh, any kind of influence in the game from overseas, it it was infinitely more xenophobic than it is now. Mm. And um, it's great that it's such an open environment now and that uh, everybody really is accepted from pretty much anywhere, 90% of the time. Mm. But there is that 10% that they don't need much provocation to be able to say dirty foreign or bad, Mm. honest Englishman good. We'll we'll leave that there for the moment and let's move on to something a little more positive. And, and unfortunately, the last few times we've spoken, things haven't been so great on the pitch, but the last few weeks have shown um, a considerable improvement from a, a position where we might have been eight points behind Aston Villa. We're now above them, albeit only on goal difference. Uh, and the team is, is performing. We're scoring goals again. Um, how much of... Uh, how much of that is down to the impact of Andre Arshavin, both in terms of what he brings to the team as a player, but also the, the spark he must have given to the squad and the, the bit of competition he provides for places? I think the competition for places is pro- possibly the least important aspect of his impact. But I think from the first moment he stepped onto the pitch, even though it was, it was patently obvious that he was lacking in fitness, and he still is, um, He's impressed me so much in his first month uh, at the club. And I think it's not just been in terms of his ability. And he's clearly the sort of player who can win a game on his own. And he's clearly um, someone who can who can make the difference, who can unlock the door. And obviously that's a, a, a critical attribute to a team that has found it difficult to break down um, defensive and uh, teams that come often with a five-man midfield. Um he, but his tenaciousness is another thing that is very likable. And I think that uh, Arsene Wenger said when he had this gash in his foot recently, um, he's seen players who that would be then out for three weeks. Mm. Arsene wanted to play two days later. <laughs> so that tells you a lot about the man uh, as well as about uh, you know the kind of ability that, that Arsene Wenger, I think, are, are warming to very, very quickly. There's no question that it, now that he's going to be a major player for the club. And when he was bought, obviously people were, were were wondering whether it was the right kind of move and were wondering, quite rightly, whether a guy of 27 who had never left Russia had something in his makeup uh, that meant he, 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 he was a late developer, if you like, or, or, or somebody not trusted to go and take that leap into uh, a major European league. Um, but it's already looking like money well spent. And I think if... If his impact um, is enough of a push to help Arsenal get back into the Champions League this season, uh, in even possibly being very lucky, win something on top of that, it'll be an absolute every penny worth it. Uh, another another one of our strikers who's going through a bit of a tough time uh, is is Nicholas Bentner. 
uh, he's getting on the end of lots of stuff, but unfortunately it's not ending up um, quite where he'd wanted to. Uh, nevertheless, he's still only 20 years of age and he's in double figures for the season. He's only scored one less than Adibayor. Maybe uh, we expect too much of, of some of the young players sometimes. Um, he's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of, um, of football to play before he becomes a really, really mature striker. Should we be encouraged by what we're seeing from Nicholas Bentner or is what we're seeing uh, an indication that maybe he's not good enough? I'm going to make a bold statement here that in a year's time is either going to make me look incredibly stupid um, or uh, or a bit crafty and say that next season I think Nicholas Bentner could score 20-25 goals. That is a bold statement. <laughs> I, I think that improvements in his game over the last month, six weeks, have been have been very noticeable and he's one of the players and Alex Song for example is, an, is another who have really taken a step up over these last few weeks um, they seem to have you know come uh, come out of being under a cloud if you like to feel that they can show a bit more of their quality and relax a bit more with their football um, you know Alex Song doesn't doesn't pass sideways uh, anymore much you know and a lot of that might be just a confidence thing, you know, when you're nervous and you're a bit unsure, you, you do what's easy, you don't want to make a mistake. Um, and in Bentner's case, you know, he's not hiding, that's for sure. Uh, but I think the first uh, 60 minutes or so against Hull, what was noticeable to me is Arsenal missed Nicholas Bentner. Now, they might not have missed the, uh, you know, the, the cities that get that he's not taking, but his all-round game, he's an absolute handful, and I bet you any defender that's played against him in the last few weeks will say they had a bit of a difficult match um, and will just consider themselves lucky that the bloke didn't score a few goals against them. And I think it will come because it's the it's the only part of his game in, in recent weeks that's been missing. Obviously, it's the most important part of his game. But as you say, he's young, um, he's learning, and... Wenger pointed out the other day there are plenty of guys he's known that didn't score goals at 20 that did at 23 and uh, I, I think it will come for him and if, if people are patient um, it, you know I, I'd be really pleased for him if he manages to turn it around mm, would, the uh, only thing that is is with him some people have noticed um, there is an element of team spirit that it doesn't quite work with Nicholas Bentner. <laughs> and again, I'm not, I don't think he's a bad lad, and I think he has a bit of a bad, an unfair, sometimes reputation amongst some of the supporters. But it is odd when they got, when somebody scores and he doesn't seem to go and celebrate with them sometimes. So maybe that's something else he needs to learn as well. Uh, it seems to have been better though uh, this year than than last season in particular. He seemed much more isolated last season mm. than this time around. Yeah, but I mean, uh, one of the goals against Hull, he def- I, I noticed he was did, didn't go over to celebrate. It might have been, I think it was the Galas one actually, and right. uh, I think uh, there was one of, one of the get- goals against Blackburn that might have even been the Ashford one that he he didn't particularly go and join in. So that's something else to be worked on because you know, unfortunately, in this game, you have to be seen to be doing the right thing as mm. well. Um, whatever you're thinking, and it won't do him any harm from the PR point of view. People can appreciate and can see that he's working much harder now. And in fact, I think his work rate, somebody said to me the other day that I think it was the Blackburn game, he'd run more uh, than anybody else on the pitch. 
Oh, all right. Well, that is an improvement. Hopefully, you can uh, pick it up in terms of the finishing. Amy, we better we better leave it there, and we'll uh, we'll definitely come back to you before uh, the end of next season to find out for how another, bold for that another statement cheerful is. Another cheerful ass look. All right. Thanks a million, Amy. See you all the best. Thanks, as always, to Amy Lawrence for uh, her time and for talking such good sense and um, for her rather bold prediction, which we'll have to check back in on uh, this time next year. It should be interesting to see where Nicholas Bentner is, if he's anywhere near uh, the gold tally that Amy thinks he might get. Uh, all right, after all that talking, um, a little break for this. Phil, uh, that's a bad day at the office, I think you can say. Uh, what was it about your team's performance that disappointed you the most? I tell you, there's no wrong with my team, lad. Uh, Phil, you just lost 4-0. Why wouldn't that be the fault of your team? <laughs> Good question. How do you expect me to answer that? You are the manager of the team, Phil. You seem quite happy to take the credit when things were going well earlier in the season. Well, are, are you questioning my integrity? No, no, I mean, it's a very simple Because I'll tell question. you what's going on here. I know why my team lost tonight. It was a referee. And then, after game, their captain has come on the pitch wearing clothes. Have you seen him wearing clothes? How can anybody come on the football pitch wearing clothes? Then he's turned around and he spat at the feet of my assistant manager. And then he's gone and kidnapped his children wearing the same clothes that he were on the pitch with. He's kidnapped his children and taken them away to his lair. Is evil there where he'll make them wear clothes as well? Clothes! <laughs> um, are you all right there, Phil? You appear to be crying. No, I'm not crying. I'm I'm top up world, me. There's no wrong with me. Don't come near me with your clothes. My darling, I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> Uh, Phil Brown, thank you for your time. Uh, back to you in studio, Gary. Post-match interviews, you never know uh, what might happen, eh? So, uh, what's happening between uh, this Starscast and the next Starscast? Well, provided you're listening to this on Friday, before 11 or 11.30, well, the Champions League draw is happening. We'll find out which of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Villarreal, Porto... Manchester United, Liverpool or Chelsea we're going to get in the quarterfinals. Uh, I suppose there'll be those that would think, well, we've got Porto or Villarreal, it's easier. I quite like Barcelona, I have to say. If you're going to win the Champions League, you've got to beat the big team somewhere along the way. So why not? Plus, it'll be a, a jolly good um, week. I didn't say week, Mrs. Bloggs. I said uh, a few days. So uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one. So that should be interesting. Uh, if you're listening to this after Friday at 11.30, you already know who we're playing. Um, not that that makes any difference to anything. We've got a game, obviously, on Saturday, which is tomorrow, uh, against Newcastle. Uh, the team news is that Almunia will be fit after Juve tried to break his leg. Uh, but Cesc and Eduardo will be out uh, we know Seska is uh, likely to be out, but he is back in training, which is good. Uh, Eduardo, again, I think he's going to be probably uh, rested until after the international break. Uh, Mikel Silvestre is fit, though. That's a podcasting tumbleweed right there. 
um, after the international break, uh, because this is our last fixture until the 4th of April when we play Manchester City. After the international break, uh, you know, we should have uh, Eduardo back. We should have Fabregas back, Adi Bayor back. So uh, the squad gets added to, and provided we don't pick up any more injuries along the way, uh, things are looking fairly healthy for the run-in. As it stands, we are in fourth place, of course. Um, a win against Newcastle would keep us there. Villa play Liverpool this weekend. So, you know, there is the chance, without being too presumptuous, there is the chance uh, for us to uh, maybe open up a bit of a gap uh, on Aston Villa. Of course, we've got to perform uh, against Newcastle, who are stuck right down the bottom and involved in a relegation battle. It might not be a very good team, but they're going to give it socks, and we're going to have to play well uh, in order to beat them. And beyond that, there really isn't much else to tell you, is there? We'll have to wait and see what happens with all this FA investigation and blah, 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 blah. But hopefully the storm in this particular teacup will have blown over. Uh, By this time next week, we'll have uh, much more positive things to talk about, like... um, the international break. <laughs> Interlull, no. Anyway, uh, have yourselves a very good weekend. After the week we've had, I think we deserve a good performance and three points uh, tomorrow. So fingers crossed that happens. I'll talk to you all weekend on the blog, all week, and of course, on next week's Arscast. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. All right, lads, let's do this in one take. I know it's difficult. We're all out of our boxes, but we've got to channel the spirit of Rocky himself. Remember, he was fighting James Clover Lang. Clover Lang! He was bigger, stronger, younger, more aggressive. But we had the experience. Oh, yeah. And that's what's going to see us through this take. Yeah. Let's rock. Phil Brown and sadly he's still alive 
It's the noise of the tigers, they're just making stuff up. Saying, says, back with me, I'll know it's untrue. They're just pissed getting knocked out of the FA Cup. And we all know that it's just the noise of the tigers. Oh, bring it on. No handshakes, that's what he said. But the picture show that's horseshit. Got a tumor in the back of his head. It makes sense, but he'll probably survive. It's the noise of the tigers. They just had a bad night of cycles. Make you lose against your rivals. And Phil Brown talks a load of unmitigated shite. And we all know that it's just the noise. Of the Tigers.